0: Hi, everyone. I usually don't have a message before the start of the podcast, but we had some unusual circumstances occur during the recording that I wanted to let you know about, which resulted in some minor gaps in the recording. As we set off in the podcast, my part of the world was hit with a severe thunderstorm, which ultimately created a tornado warning, which of course means that we should seek shelter. In addition to the small gap, it also meant that I could not follow up on certain topics. One of those topics involved the recent events of two teenagers for planning terrorist attacks in Singapore and Norway, respectively. During our discussion, we talked about how mental health and periods of time away from peers and schools can have an impact on these younger individuals, as noted by the CDC and other health organizations. We won't know much more about their specific situations until their trials, but this can definitely be a contributing factor as we discussed in the podcast. However, equally important is is the reminder that extremist ideology and hate-based propaganda can reach individuals of all ages. This makes it incredibly important for the community to be alert to the potential warning signs of radicalization towards these extremes. So we wanted to get that up front. It was something we wanted to come back to during the podcast, but unfortunately we were cut short on. In any event, I wanted to get that up front, and we hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. Nerd out. Good day, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Nerd Out, where security panel experts or or security experts get together. Uh, You would think I'd probably get together enough. We've done this enough times that I could get through the opening without... Uh, messing it up, but it is what it is. This is a Dave Pounder uh, hosted podcast, so we're going to have some flubs like that. So anyways, uh, this is uh, Nerd Out, the latest edition of it, and this is where security experts get together and talk about the latest security trends or patterns or happenings and, and share our thoughts on it. So welcome, everybody. We've got our our normal crew, Travis, Bridget, and Joe. Uh, welcome, everyone. Happy... Uh, President's Day or Washington's birthday? We'll just start with an opening question here. Uh, What do you prefer, President's Day or Washington's birthday? Bridget?
1: Um, How about the uh, random deep discounts on mattresses day? (laughs) (laughs) Which which feels a little less seedy than MLK Day sales. So that that kind of feels wrong when, when, when they do those, but I don't think uh, George Washington would mind if if he gives people cheap mattresses.
0: Probably not. I, I don't think he had quite the mattress selections at Mount Vernon, but uh, it, is, it is what it is. Travis, what do you prefer, President's Day or Washington's birthday?
2: Go with President's Day because it's all encompassing. It's hard to hard to top Bridget there.
0: That is true. What about you, Joe?
3: Yeah, I, I think I go with President's Day. I, you know, whatever your politics, that's a tough job so uh i think that they deserve a day
0: there you go you know it is funny because i remember just growing up it was it was washington's birthday and then it was washington lincoln's birthday i felt like and then it just became all-encompassing president's day i know you know uh our gate 15 patriarch uh andy jabor he is a proponent of keeping it washington's birthday so i have to give him the the shout out to just say you know i know there's love for washington uh being the first one but Ah, uh, President's Day is is where where we're at. So, but everyone, let's uh, the nice icebreaker there. We'll just jump into the rest of the conversations. Um, you know, some of the stuff we talked about over the last couple months, obviously hostile events and and the in, impact that they can have moving forward. Over the last uh, about two or three weeks, we've had three pretty interesting arrests or uh, hostile event incidents that. Uh, I'd like to kind of talk about, I'll I'll just cover those real quickly. Uh, In Singapore at the end of January, uh, authorities arrested a 16-year-old for allegedly plotting terrorist attacks at two local mosques that were inspired by the 2019 Christchurch Christchurch mosque shootings. Say that 15 times straight. Um, And what uh, the Singapore uh, officials are saying is the first uh, far-right extremist violence or arrests in their history. Uh, that was at the end of January. Um, the teenager had uh, affinity for the Christchurch uh, shooter, uh, some of his methodology and pattern and planning, um, and there was a lot of tribute to him. Um, then uh, the following weekend on 4 February, Norway's domestic terrorism or security agency arrested a, another 16 year old. Uh, this is a Syrian teenager uh, in Oslo on the suspicion of planning an act of terror. There are no real details around that one or at least not that I've seen lately. And there was no, um, I guess, outcome on uh, where it was gonna be carried out at. And, and so that, that was a significant arrest there. Uh, there were some uh, indications that he had sympathies with the Islamic State. Um, and then he had arrived in Norway from Syria as part of our family reunification. They put in, you know, they put in quotation scheme. What that means, we'll have to still figure out. But um, and then last week in Minnesota, a, a man was a, a arrested for uh, killing one person wounded four others at a Minnesota healthcare uh, clinic. Um, previously, he had threatened a mass shooting at the same healthcare center and in 2018. He had some other uh, indicators and was known to police. Um, but this was a 67-year-old man. Um, and so, three incidents, two, two younger individuals, one uh, older individual. Um, I guess let's, let's just start off with that, kind of in a sentence or in a quick um, comment. What do we make of these events? Uh, Travis, let's start with you. What do, what, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you're seeing these, uh, the range in ages, the, the type of events that are being planned and the thoughts? What, what, what's your first thought?
2: Lockdowns, boredom, social media, a stew. You, you know, it's just a caustic stew. It's the social media part. You even take lockdown out of it. Still, the social media piece, um, you know, it just allows for the uh, uh, people that have a proclivity to to look to blame others are always going to find a home right now on social media. And once that happens, you know, they're off to the races, however, which way they go. That's the problem.
0: I I want to come back to two of your points, but let me, I want to get everyone's comments first, but you brought up two really good points about, you know, we, we've talked previously about mental health, um, and, and lockdown. I think there's a little bit, there's something to that. And then the, the proclivity to find things online is, is another important part. Um, Joe, first thing that comes to your mind, I mean, in, in a first type of thoughts in your mind.
3: Yeah, I, I would echo what Travis has to say. I, I, I think social media has played such an extraordinary role in all of this. But what's really interesting is that it really underscores the need in our training uh, to make sure that we're profiling behavior and not people. Because as we can see, uh, we uh, they're getting younger and older, and uh, they're both men and women. They're of all colors, creeds, religious persuasions, etc. Um, they're 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 empowered to act on this uh, this sort of this ideological. Um, position of, you know, harm, doing other people harm to sort of get across their political views and it's scary. So um, I, I would bring it back to training. It's really, really important to make sure that um, we're, uh, we're we're diligent. We're, you know, putting our teams through hostile surveillance training and or again, profiling behavior, um, which is not easy because now you're looking at every single person that's coming into your venue. And it's not just the public assembly venue like theaters and convention centers, it's shopping malls, it's theme parks, it's, it's religious, uh, you know, uh, religious uh, buildings, churches, synagogues, etc. It's it's everywhere people are gathering, social gatherings, crowded spaces, soft targets.
0: You guys, you guys are like jumping ahead on my uh, agenda here. You know, I, I, it's like you could read my mind where we're trying to go on some of these because I do want to hit on a lot of what you just mentioned back there too. So let we'll come back to some of those as well. Bridget, what's your first thought uh, as you as you're reading through these incidents?
1: Well, on the uh, the white supremacist or neo-Nazi one um, and the the Norway one, you know, I would definitely say as ISIS places such a heavy focus uh, historically on grooming their cubs, uh, so do white supremacists and neo-Nazis. So we look at the age, we see impressionable ages, um, we see that Brent and Terrence live stream and manifesto are not things that you can put back in the bottle, so to speak. They'll always be circulating in corners on the web. Um, They'll always be drawing recruits in places that one may think is rather insulated to that type of radicalization. So those who express surprise at this plot in Singapore, don't be. Um, With Norway, you have like the the compounding factor of returning foreign fighters or people in their circles. who are basically in-person examples. They're not necessarily known to the young person or their family, uh, but they're locals who decided to fight for ISIS. Um, and then separately, you know, looking at the healthcare shooting where you could have so many different um, factors coming into healthcare security from a physical standpoint, such as um, you know, former employees, disgruntled patients, including addicts. Um, mass attackers who may not have a particular beef with the facility, but are they're looking for an attack space that is concentrated and crowded with limited entrances and exits, um, and extremists who could take issue with potential vaccine distribution at the site, uh, whether abortion services are offered there or even conspiracy theories that link in that facility to Bill Gates's master plan, George Soros, take your pick, whatever. Um, And you could have gunmen hell-bent on stealing something of value in the course of an attack, such as vaccines or opioids. So um, it's a real soft target concern.
0: You you just managed Bridget to to throw in just about every type of uh, motivation and theory for attacking healthcare uh, <laughs> facilities. There, I, I think you, you
1: mean right checked there? off <laughs> on all,
0: all those blocks. There, well, let us talk a little bit about some of this because I think it's really important. I think the um, in the Minnesota in the Minnesota healthcare uh, incident, there was some um, some mental health. Uh, calls of consideration for that one. Um, as Travis mentioned earlier, you know, we're a years into this lockdown and in so many different ways. A lot of people have spent so much time uh, indoors. I can say for myself, not having been in an office building for a year, It gets kind of crazy being at home by yourself. Um, And and so you you sit there over time, and some of these kids have not been in classrooms, have not been associating with their peers. In some countries, it's a lot worse than others. Um, And and even within the United States, in some regions and states, it's a lot worse in terms of the restrictions. There's a serious mental health uh, crisis that we're about to face here um w- what are there ways or are there ways that we can be intervening at this stage whether they're organizations whether we're you know educational facilities um even parents as such you know that we're we're monitoring some of this activity we'll just go back to you travis from a mental health perspective how important is this moving forward
2: Critical. And for the kids, it's, they got to get it back in school. I mean, it's, 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 but it's, you know, the kids learn very easily how to hide uh, and not talk with their parents. Right. And parents, you know, unfortunately get used to that, uh, behavior and part of it is normal. Um, and the other part is you, you just don't know. So what, it, what can be seen, uh, by classmates, what can be seen by friends, Uh, teachers, school resource officers, school counselors, places where they do are are going back to school, the school counselors are just overwhelmed, Uh, but it's just, they need, it is critical for their just long-term social development, psychological health, that they get back um, it, it, to as much normalcy as possible. I mean, we really are hitting that, that crisis phase. I think you're seeing that, right? With what the CDC put out and everything else, there's this realization that we got to figure out a way to do this, I don't know. I mean, There, there is a way, um, but we got to do it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think, it, and I know everyone's trying to find the best solution. Um, you know, I, I thought it was just me with teenage kids or whatever that they didn't want to talk to their parents, but apparently it's a, a lot more widespread than than that. I don't mean to make light of it; uh, trying to bad humor, I guess. But um, you, you know, Joe, as we're looking at some of these mental health um, issues, and we, we, you know, it is—it's not. We're not. No one's hiding. It. Everyone's talking about it. You know, what types of indicators, you know, should we be looking for? In these areas, and and what do we do with it? I mean, wh- if we're if we're seeing these things, what's what what are some of the thoughts from a security perspective that you know we need to work around? You know, if we're if we're employ- you know as a, as an employer who's you know got remote workers and and maybe they're starting to come back into work and such. You know, what what are some of the things that we should be looking at uh, to to kind of gauge some of these ideas?
3: Well, you know, I, I, again, I'm with Travis on this one. I I think this is, uh, this is, this is training. This is proper allocation of resources. And I think the biggest challenge we have is that, um, you know, we throw people at the problem who are ill-equipped, and that's not an indictment of someone caring and trying to do something because trying to do something is better than doing nothing at all. Um, but I don't think, especially specifically in schools, uh, you know, our resource officers and our guidance counselors. I mean, they don't have the, the significant training that you would need to sort of properly identify someone who is capable of you know, doing harm um, in, you know, in a mass shooting, for instance. Um, and I don't have the answer to this. I'm sure many people have argued over this topic for years, and much ink has been spilt on the subject. But um, I think that we need to better support our schools uh, and whatever that means, get them proper training or get better resources brought into the school Um, I do think we gotta get kids back into school as quickly as possible on a more normal level. Although I think most areas have some form of hybrid model that's going on now with an alternating schedule or some kids actually go to school every day and some are remote every day, et cetera. But I don't, I'm not not sure that uh, is helping the situation. But I also, I look at, when's the last school shooting we had in this country? Um, it's, it's been a while they certainly aren't happening happening at an average of and forgive me I'm going to get the statistic wrong but every day, um, it would seem for a while. Um, so there, there's something to be learned about that. schools aren't 100% closed in every part of the country, but we're still suffering so as the kids are coming back, uh, I suspect September will be the first time we're back to something that's considered normal. Um, I really hope that we're able to put some effort into um, helping each other uh, re-enter whatever the new normal is. And kids are going to need extra help uh, and extra socialization uh, skills and and just more patience as they readjust to what uh, they had before COVID shut everything down. So resources, I, I really think that that's what we need to do to pay attention. And that's when the security resource officer, even the Sometimes we have a lot of armed uh, uh, uniformed police officers in a lot of campuses across the country. And I think they just need better equipped. People can't be afraid to say something. And that's the thing, right? You, you, if you say something and it was a false alarm, people look at you uh, funny because, you you know, how dare you accuse my child of something. Yet the opposite is also true, which is after a horrible event occurs, like a mass shooting or something, an active shooters uh, incident, we then we complain that someone saw something and didn't do something about it. So this is a very challenging subject to navigate. I am not the right person to come up with that solution. But I do think it it really, it's square in the, in the, in the, it's, I think it's resources, it's it's training. Get the right people there who understand how to look for these, these proper signs that are You know, Monday morning, we're able to find them. Like we say, oh, look, we noticed this thing for the last year, and this person's been reported to local authorities so many times, and yet we did nothing about it. Somebody is better equipped at uh, identifying that.
0: Yeah, I I think you hit on a really good point there with that statement is is I, I think it's okay for us as organizations and security teams to say we don't have all the answers right now. But I, I think what's important is we have to start looking at those considerations and, and having those discussions within our organization. You, you also hit on another point, too, in, um, it, about the reporting stuff and, and talking to other people. You know, this is a, a, a interesting thing when we talk or delicate balance when we talk about suspicious behaviors or indicators related to uh, potential extremist activity or terrorist activities, um, w- you know because you know people are afraid to report something that may not be or get their coworker in trouble. Um, they may be afraid to say something that um, th- they don't think would be like an offhand or dismissive comment. Um, Bridget, on like on the reporting side of that, what do you say to those people who, are, are unsure about should they, if they see something, should they really say something? I know it's a good catchphrase, um, but is it really something, how, how do you alleviate those concerns?
1: I would actually throw out an example of um, of why they should be concerned, even if they think it can't happen here, or maybe I'm not seeing what I think I'm seeing. Um, So, you know, I've often said that uh, neo-Nazi supremacist uh, militia propaganda often follows similar strains and tactics as ISIS and the way in which these different types of terrorist groups and extremist ideologies recruit uh, share patterns as well too. So a few years back, um, a teen girl contacted some anti-ISIS hackers who were involved in the op ISIS operation. They told me about this um, to take down, they were taking down social media accounts and websites that had spread like wildfire, etc. cetera. So the girl who approached them, she was not Muslim yet she'd been recruited on Twitter by ISIS recruiters. Her profile and tweets basically reflected that of somebody who was lonely and vulnerable. Uh, she was first befriended by an ISIS recruiter who used a little kitten photo for their avatar um the hackers were telling me that other isis members were using like you know cherubic looking white babies etc for the avatars so the teen girl lived in a midwestern city that wasn't big um she was instructed to attack a central location where she lived uh, after grooming her in this relationship being her friend etc this progressed to telling her how to obtain simple weapons and how to strike Um, By this point, of course, she was really scared, but the recruiters were threatening her family with violence if she uh, tried to get help. So this girl who was in way, way too deep reached out to the hackers who connected her with the feds. Um, So this is just underscoring that people who think that their workplace, that their hometown, that their school, et cetera, may be insulated to this type of radicalization. You're not, it's, it's everywhere out there. So I think that real world examples need to be pressed out there to get people to really take to really act on if you see something, say something.
0: Yeah, that, that's a great, uh, that, that's a really great point, Bridget. I mean, it, it really is important to to i think when you talk about a reporting process where people are afraid of being you know like that old internal affairs type of thing or or you're the snitch or whatever i think we do need to have those real world examples present to help us uh you know highlight the importance of it that's really going to be the sticking point I, I find I have found that an effective strategy is really is is two two different things. Is one to be transparent in your process to make sure that you know if you see something suspicious, you know you're just reporting something. It's not for you to adjudicate what you know whether that's right or wrong. You're just bringing your concern up to a manager or a supervisor, and I think that's really something. To, to be worked on. And then I think it's up to the organization to make that process as transparent as possible. Um, you know, some people do some sort of limited investigation to see if there's anything more to it, but there really are a lot of great resources out there to help in this process and, and build out uh, a, a really important program that people feel comfortable and confident to, to raise to. Because You've all brought up great points here. It, you know, people are—you know—age is not a discriminator anymore. You can't—you know, Joe. I think you said it. You can't profile people. You're profiling behaviors, and we know there are certain behaviors out there that that really uh, do try to sign or do signify one thing or the other. So, you know, that's this is uh, this is great. I think it's really important areas. To talk about for sure. Um, you, you know, I think there's one other area I wanted to pull into this. And this was that water incident that occurred in Florida a, a couple of weeks back, uh, in which a, a hacker had gone into um, a water utility and um, tried to change the levels uh, to make it a dangerous level for, cons- you know, for individuals consuming the water. Um, you, you know, when we see those type of incidents, um, Travis, what, what what calls to mind for you um, as the potential risk there and the potential impact for individuals?
2: This is the danger zone, the juxtaposition of physical cyber convergence. They both have a component, but one you know, the cyber bus is, is driving most things right now. Um, you add, I mean, some of these companies get scanned several hundred thousand times a day, malware, and all sorts of different things. Um, and, and physical then takes a, a back seat, uh, and that's just the way things are. And then you'll have an incident like happened in Nashville, and that will um, inflate. Um, the awareness on physical for a while. So what it always says to me is there just has to be better physical cyber convergence. There just has to be better communication uh, and understanding cross training. Um, you know, you ask most of the cyber people, folks, you know, about you know shielding on a uh, windows for blast ratings and whatnot. And they'll just look at you funny. And then you look at one of us and ask us about, you know, how to stop the, you know, a, a, a ransomware attack, <laughs> We look at you like, well, dopey. So that's the that's the story of, of this needs to inform long-term is there just has to be, and there's some inklings of it in some of the regulated sectors, but as you see, uh, that's a great incident, an example of it's, it's a long way off.
0: Yeah, we really have to get rid of these silos, right? The, the, the individual, as much as specialization can occur, you can still be specialized under a larger security umbrella, but pulling it all together, you know, Joe, when you see this type of blended threat, what is the, you know, what is the ramifications that you see? I mean, if you want to look at it from the venue perspective as well, I mean, this has ramifications really, I mean, while critical utility, you know, critical infrastructure is the target here, and we've seen this before with uh, electricity, you know, with the utility grid as well. In the electrical grid, you know, pulling it in. This really affects all industries, doesn't it?
3: Oh, the, I, this is this is really the the topic that scares me the most because um, there's sort of like this voodoo magic about it. You know, we say we say cyber-physical convergence, and you know, people like show up, and it's like, ooh, you know, it's a scary thing. It's actually more accessible than anybody thinks. Um, I was at a I was at a, a lecture with Ryan Harrell, formerly of DHS, and he was talking about how. He gave his kids, I think he said something ridiculous, like $20 and to see what they could do with a, uh, um, a drone. And they basically made like a one pound payload drop with a Bluetooth app and a drone. Like it literally picked up one pound and they flew it and they were able to drop it. It was like $20, the, the challenge, and they did it. And any, that, that technology is so accessible to so many people. Like I, I couldn't do it. I don't know how to program any of that stuff, but my 17 year old daughter does. And those drones are so small, you could backpack them in pretty much anywhere. So any open area um, is subject to that issue. Um, I, am, I am shocked and then not surprised at all when I talk to an IT professional, when he tells me, he's like an ethical hacker, and he tells me how it's so easy to, uh, to s- uh, grab someone's uh, databases, uh, things that are sh- supposed to be locked down, like PCI compliant things with credit cards and names and addresses and people's registrations into classes, et cetera, and um, databases and like CRMs, you know, customer relationship management or event management software, key card access systems, you know, anything that's got an IP address, somebody knows how to access it. And he, he laughs on how unsecure some of these things are, or you, you hear it all the time about change the password, make it complicated, do capitals, numbers, uh, special characters. And yet the very first thing he tries is admin as a username and password as the password. I don't know, 50% gets right in um, and people are not learning from the mistakes. And if you lose control of your network, um, some small organizations, you know, they may decide, well, it's not worth to pay the ransom to get my email server back or my, my, you know, uh, the data on my server because it's less money to recreate that information than you're charging me to give it back to me. Um, Larger organizations uh, don't have that luxury because it's not worth it. And they end up paying the cyber ransom. So, you know, you, there's lots of anonymity, um, you know, the, from from hacking in from your computers in your living rooms, et cetera. And we're not learning uh, as a, as a, as a people to tighten that stuff up and people are still putting random USBs in their computers. The easiest way to infiltrate someone's network is either just, put a little um, sub-partition of sorts on a USB, which is of course a bootable drive. So you may think it's fine. You look at it, you put it in your machine, and all of a sudden you've got some malware. Or frankly, phishing emails. Some of them look so sophisticated. And they look like they're coming from the place that you think they're coming. But there's something off about it, yet people still click and open and download, etc. So yeah, cyber-physical convergence really scares me. It's very accessible. Um, it's easy to do program hack all those things. People are not locking down their databases or their BMSs or their um, proximity, you know, the uh, key card access systems that we have in so many of our venues, et cetera. They're leaving them wide open and exposed. Um, we really need to tighten that stuff up.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, and again, we're we're not going to be on here to profess we're the cybersecurity experts on everything, but at the same time, is a lot of this stuff is bi- just basic good cybersecurity best practices and security hygiene. You know, the, the password thing is we see these reports every year, time and time again, you know, especially when you're dealing with IOT devices and such, you know, just changing the administrative passwords can go a long way in just putting up that one extra barrier for threat actors to get into. The, 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 it's just so simple in so many ways. Um, And we really encourage you to look at best practices, evaluate at the individual level and the organizational level. Are you just doing what you need to be doing? Forget about the super high tech advanced stuff. That's all great. I mean, it is great, but if you're not doing the basics, then you're just opening everything else up to you. Um, So a lot of great points there, Joe. Really appreciate you pulling that in. Bridget, you know, the, 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 the cyber physical convergence, the blended threats. This is something we haven't necessarily seen on the extremist side, ha- or, or have we? Um, and we're just missing it. Most of the, a lot of the stuff we see, you know, with Al Qaeda and, and uh, the Islamic State is they're still trying to get their guys to do some basic se- cybersecurity as well. So they're mo- mainly advocating for the physical violence, but are we seeing anything change on this front? Is is there a potential risk for this uh, based on this Florida incident?
1: Yeah, I think there's a risk because um, first of all, you have had more heavy cyber recruiting um, on, on the part of, um, you know, specifically thinking ISIS right now. Um, you know, last year they, they put out their first issue of a cybersecurity magazine um, and they always have um, cyber updates coming from one group and. But they've also done more of a concerted recruitment effort to say, "Hey, you know, if you're in software, you know, if you have this background, we want you. Come on over." Um, that in tandem with, you know, trying to teach their little young grasshoppers how to do hacking. Um, but um, Alphacare, Care, which is one of the uh, ISIS backing media outlets, they released a video in July 2018 that was discussing how to wage a bio attack on the West. Um, and one of the things that they mentioned was, you know, sprinkling some sort of bacteria or other contaminant into drinking water to take effect as quickly as possible. Um, so there's certainly precedent uh, for, for, you know, both an attack on critical infrastructure, like the water supply um, seen in extremist materials and absolutely they would be inspired by this plant getting hacked running an ancient version of windows um, but you know if you also saw how much islamist and far-right extremists mention the power grid yeah there's certainly cause to be concerned about physical threats to the water system um, i should stress too that it also really fits with the goal of accelerationists um, probably the greater physical security threat uh, would come from perpetrators uh, in, in domestic extremism who come from another area or they're kind of living off the grid to the extent that tainted water supplies or power failures do not impact them or their allies. Um, but there's, there's definitely definitely pause to, to watch for that convergence and the threats from that.
0: Okay, sorry about that, guys. We're in the midst of a, a tornado warning now uh, in our area. so this I am trying to it-
1: wonder if it got you. <laughs> <Sorry>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's getting quite interesting here. We're, we're trying to move to our shelter uh, within the laundry room here. So we're going to just shut this down real quick here uh, as I move to my shelter. But real quick, uh, unfortunately, Travis did have to... Uh, to leave, uh, drop her a little early, but we appreciate his always insightful comments. But uh, anything uh, for the parting shot or plug before we get off, and I hop into the laundry room.
3: Joe, I, I'm going to go with uh, I, I'm I'm thinking about you, and hopefully you'll uh, you'll email us a little later, and tell us everything is okay. So uh, we're we're rooting for you there.
0: I, I certainly appreciate it. I certainly do appreciate it. So, Bridget, anything to promote or plug
1: or or parting shot? Uh, let's promote tornado safety, like Dave is is um, <laughs> an example for right now. And since we were going to talk about Tom Brady, but now you know he gets booted off that, I just have to like plug real quick that I cannot stand Tom Brady. <laughs> Twenty nineteen, when I was house hunting, I refused to look at a house that was on Zillow because there was a life-size Tom Brady painted on the wall of the rec room.
0: This was That was gonna be one of our little lightning round questions that we <laughs> preempted here. Uh, are you happy for Tom Brady? But uh, we thank you, Bridget, for weighing in on that. Front <laughs> no, um, I'm not. <laughs> so, so, well, with all of that, everyone, I do a lot of great comments today and, and I would encourage everyone to get on There's a ton of resources all around these type of hostile events. The uh, gate15.global website has a lot of resources for hostile events. Uh, Bridget's Homeland Security Today website has a lot of uh, coverage over hostile events. Um, and, And of course, we have a lot of resources through DHS and CISA on blended threats and those cyber spillages. I, I know the water ISAC did a, a really good analysis of this and they had some reporting in a couple of articles uh, over the last uh, week or two, so I want to plug that uh, as well. But there's a lot of great information out there. There's a lot of great resources on uh, reporting and, and behaviors and indicators Uh, of hostile events and and we really encourage you to do that and so as I duck into the laundry room everyone I want to bid you all a farewell I want to thank our our panelists again Bridget uh, Joe and Travis I want to wish you all uh, a a safe uh, for those who are getting snow and ice uh, we're getting a lot of rain and tornadoes so hope you all stay safe and uh, we will talk with you soon take care everyone take care be safe